Hello, I'm Manila Chan. You are tuned in to Modus Operandi. The numbers continue to climb. The amount of money and arms being sent to Ukraine. The U.S. is leading the way with total packages well north of $100 billion. This conflict is fast becoming the most expensive war in modern history. But is it worth the investment? We'll discuss it. All right, let's get into the MO. Congress constantly bouncing back and forth between Democrat control or Republican, the two-party system rarely agrees on anything. But the one thing that unites the two, war. Suddenly, the grievances disappear and both parties support Joe Biden, providing carte blanche blank checks to Ukraine. Now, here to break it all down for us, the money, the arms, big and small, is international relations and security analyst Mark Sloboda. You can find more of Mark's analysis at the Real Politic with Mark Sloboda over on YouTube. Now, Mark, with the recent announcement by President Biden that the U.S. would send 31 Abrams tanks to Ukraine, a couple of things here. Uh, one, is this a significant number of tanks to make any difference. Um, two, why this allotment? Why not say an even 30 or even 40? And then Biden says they'll be making a special Kiev version, I guess, of the Abrams that the U.S. won't be sending its stock inventory of Abrams because they have proprietary equipment on them. So when exactly would these Kiev version Abrams even get there? Okay, so uh, first of all, you know, the question, why 31? Uh, 31 tanks uh, is the size of a Ukrainian tank brigade. How many tanks are in a tank brigade? Uh, and supposedly the original um, estimates uh, for the European Leopard tanks would be two brigades worth or 62 tanks, although that, that may, number may have since changed. Um, as to the question, will will this, will 31 tanks, will 62 tanks, will 120 tanks make a significant difference on the Ukrainian battlefield? Uh, the U.S. backed Kiev uh, putsch regime started this conflict in February of 2022 uh, with, according to Western military estimates, Statista and Jane's, as having 2,596 tanks. Um, we also know that since then, the West has already sent Ukraine another 400 to 500 tanks. These are Soviet legacy tanks, mostly T-72s, some T-80s from the former East Bloc countries, Poland, Romania, Croatia, uh, and, and some others. Um, and so the question remains, where, where are those tanks now that there is such a desperate need uh, for the West to send their own main battle tanks? The question is, they are mostly destroyed. Uh, and if that many tanks have already been destroyed, uh, because Russia has uh, air dominance over Ukraine um, and it has uh, a nine to one or greater uh, heavy artillery mismatch, um, besides all of the other factors on the battlefield, no, 
uh, quite clearly uh, not 31, not 62, not 120, not even 300 tanks are going to make a significant enough outcome that they would change the outcome of the conflict. Uh, which, of course, leads to the question, when will they arrive? Well, maybe never. That's <laughs> that's the truth of the matter. Uh, so uh, this deal was struck uh, between Biden and the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz to pressure Scholz into releasing the Leopards, sending the Leopards, a tank that the Pentagon, at least, feels would be a more suitable match for Ukraine, although it has to be said, not by much. Uh, because of the heavy weight, the incredible logistical and training burdens of the Abrams uh, and several other factors, uh, the Pentagon still doesn't believe that the Abrams is actually a tank that the Ukrainians can really make effective use of in any way. Uh, certainly not, uh, you know, to be wasted on the battlefield and where they can't fight in normal combined arms warfare uh, against a country that has air and, and artillery dominance. Uh, so this deal was struck uh, that the Leopards would be sent within a few months, but the Abrams actually have to be built almost from scratch. And they get behind the queue of Poland uh, and Taiwan, which have Abrams on orders. So there's no definitive date of when they will arrive yet. It will be no sooner than the end of this year um, and could be longer. It could be a year, according to the Washington Post, or years, and they may never get there. So that move by Biden broke that deadlock over in Europe on sending tanks to Kiev. Various EU nations were basically pointing at one another to say, no, you go first, no, you go first. So eventually the Germans agreed to send a few dozen leopards. Uh, the Poles said they would send some. What can you tell us about these leopard tanks? Are they any match for the tanks that Russia has? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, the Leopard, uh, like the Abrams, is a good tank, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, it's equivalent, the most modern Russian tanks, uh, the T-90s, um, you know, they are all roughly on a par. I mean, if you put them up on specs, you can argue, oh, that the T-90M Pro Reeve has a slightly longer range uh, shot, the Abrams has slightly better armor, the Leopard is slightly more maneuverable. But, you know, this is largely semantics because, uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that actually in this conflict, tank battles, tanks conducting duels against other tanks uh, in the Ukrainian conflict are an extremely rare phenomenon that actually hasn't happened so much. The tanks will operate as part of a combined arms uh, maneuver war warfare, um, where they'll be fighting with infantry alongside of them, uh, mechanized infantry providing cover. Uh, but um, in, in the case uh, of uh, Ukrainian, uh, the Kiev regime forces, uh, they will be fighting against an opponent that has complete air dominance of the battlefield and a very substantial nine to one or greater artillery and rocket system mismatch with uh, very powerful electronic warfare, drones, 
weapons, uh, loitering munitions such as the Russian Lancet that have proven extremely effective in destroying Ukrainian tanks. Uh, so uh, it is very likely that the Leopards will be destroyed by uh, you know, will be facing and will be destroyed by many other things before they actually engage any of Russia's main tanks. And we have seen in Syria, uh, Turkey deployed um, uh, Leopard tanks, a, a more modern variant in uh, Syria, and they were destroyed by both ISIS and the Kurds using a 1970s era Soviet anti-tank guided missile, uh, which caused no end of embarrassment. And, and this is highly written about in the Western press. Similarly, the Abrams uh, were destroyed in Yemen by irregular Houthis using the same type of 1970s anti-tank guided missile. And they'll be facing much more modern anti-tank guided missiles uh, by uh, Russian uh, infantry in Ukraine. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're substantial tanks, uh, but they won't really be fighting tank uh, duels. Uh, you know, the, the numbers, the exact numbers uh, supplied um, uh, by the different uh, countries that are contributing, 14 initially promised from Germany, 14 from Poland. The United Kingdom is sending 14 of their own Challenger tanks because Ukraine doesn't have enough logistical burdens already. They need three different types of main battle tanks for if France ever gets around to sending some Leclercs to, to add to the hodgepodge and the, the insane logistical burden uh, on Ukraine. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Germany's initial batch of tanks uh, is 14 tanks uh, that they, they say they're going to send right away. And they say that they will send up to 88 tanks, 1488. That's a very interesting number. It's usually used in the white Aryan and neo-Nazis as code for Heil Hitler uh, on uh, social media. Interesting factoid. So very early in the military operation, we saw what Russian air superiority looked like. Now, barring the ghost of Kiev, of course, we saw precision strikes that initially took out military targets, airfields, rail, things like that. Um, Ukraine does not presently possess the air capabilities to take on Russian Su-25s or uh, the long-awaited uh, Su-57 Felon stealth fighter. But that doesn't mean they won't get some air power. Volodymyr Zelensky is already asking the U.S. for some F-16s. Will he get them? And would that change the conflict from a ground war to then an air war? Yes. Um, much like with the decision to send some Abrams someday, sometime, I think it is extremely likely uh, that in uh, you know the medium term, uh, at the least, probably by by the uh, end of the summer, no later than that, we will see Western countries succumb to a a vicious cycle of pressure coming from each other, coming from the media, which is is perhaps one of the biggest war hawk driving agendas in all of this, uh, because uh, once the, the tanks 
don't manage to win the conflict uh, for the Kiev regime. Um, and the same with the, the uh, longer range missiles, the um, ground launch, small diameter uh, bombs, a, a, a jury rigged combination that Boeing has, has sold the US government on, on providing uh, for the Kiev regime. Once they don't win, we'll need a new wonder weapon that will change the course of the conflict. Of course, the F-16 will do nothing of the sort. Uh, the Kiev regime isn't capable of flying now. They have started this conflict with several hundred combat aircraft. Uh, they have a handful left, and that is considering that they have also already received additional MiGs uh, from in-bloc countries uh, of Eastern Europe that are now part of NATO as well. Um, Russia obviously has a, a big aviation mismatch. The Kiev regime officials are already always going on about it. Russia has some 700 combat aircraft uh, lurking around Ukraine at all times, uh, and you know that's to say nothing of of uh, Russia's air defense, uh, which is considered even by Western military analysts as the best air defense in the world, uh, and Russian forces are very heavily covered by short-range, medium-range, long-range air defense systems all the way from the Panzer up to the S-400. Uh, so no, uh, the F-16s uh, would be slaughtered. Where would they fly out of? Uh, the Kiev regime doesn't have any airfields that cannot be hit by Russian precision strikes uh, with calibers, uh, with um, drones uh, and the like. Uh, they would have to fly out of Poland or Romania, and that would automatically make those countries a party to the conflict without any shadow of a doubt remaining. But there will be high political pressure to send the F-16s. Will they actually be able to make use of them? Of course, they not. They don't have the technicians. Uh, they don't have uh, uh, pilots trained uh, to fly them. Uh, we've just heard from the British Prime Minister, who uh, informed the press about exactly how long is the minimum amount of time for an F-16 pilot training, which is 35 months. Uh, normal training is five years. So, you know, but, you know, hey, with the pluck and will of the Kiev regime's forced conscripts, I mean, brave, willing defenders of the Kiev regime, I'm sure they'll figure it out, you know, in just a couple hours. Coming up next, he's being coy, she's all in. Find out why France's Emmanuel Macron is uncomfortable with Germany's Annalena Baerbock's stance on Ukraine. We'll discuss it with Mark Sloboda when we return. Sit tight. The MO will be right back. summer, the melting Arctic snow reveals abandoned machinery, millions of rusty barrels and the detritus left by human expansion into this most inaccessible of territories. I was in shock, how could they be so disgusted by the pomodoro? It's just a Volunteers from Clean Arctic travel to Heiss Island, home to the biggest polar station on the Franz Josef Land archipelago. 
Сера, грязь непролазная. Боже мой, я тут еще целый месяц. У меня были первые мысли. Нас обманули, нам подсунули какой-то самый стрёмный остров во всем архипелаге. Это одна из самых северных земель на нашей планете, от которой до Северного полюса примерно тысячи километров. The Arctic pioneers' main objective was to explore and conquer these harsh lands. They had no time to think about waste management. Now their legacy could remain for centuries. Как мы, наверное, человечество в целом выглядим, наверное, нелицеприятно. Такое чувство, что мы застрим эту планетку, а потом полетим куда-то делать это еще. Is your media a reflection of reality? In a world transformed, what will make you feel safer? Isolation or community? Are you going the right way or are you being led somewhere? Which direction? What is truth? What is fake? In a world corrupted, you need to descend. So join us in the depths, or remain in the shallows. to the MO, I'm Manila Chan. She wants to dive in head first, but he's taking a more measured approach. Germany's young foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, wants the whole of the EU to go all in. But Emmanuel Macron is saying, not so fast. Now, international relations and security expert, Mark Sloboda, is back with us to discuss. Mark, the French have been very coy about whether or not they would supply Kiev with any heavy machines like tanks or fighter jets. Emmanuel Macron has said, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing here, uh, that the idea is not off the table, but his rules would be that he'd give Kiev those things under the condition that the regime promised not to use them on Russia proper territory. Now, could those promises be kept? And how would you ensure that those promises were even enforced if you're Emmanuel Macron? What would the consequences be if Kiev broke that promise and used French, French jets to, I don't know, say, bomb St. Petersburg? Of course, this is purely theoretical because I, I do not believe that Macron will supply French jets uh, in, in anywhere, you know, in the near future, meaning next couple of years to the Kiev regime. And if they did, they would never make it to St. Petersburg, considering the amount of heavy air defense uh, between, uh, you know, uh, Ukraine and St. Petersburg and so forth. But let, let's assume for, for the theoretical sake that they did. Um, of, of course, uh, Macron would have no way of enforcing what targets, what part of Russia, Russia 
proper or what the West doesn't consider part of Russia. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, that puts him in uh, a bit of a political dilemma there. Generally, French has been about a step behind the rest of NATO in the procurement of arms. They have provided what they call a light tank, uh, which is, uh, it's AMX 10RC. It's a 1970s, 80s era um uh, kind of a weird cross. It's a wheeled light tank, uh, somewhere between an infantry fighting vehicle and a tank. Um, uh, again, it hasn't been provided in in, in numbers uh, that would be substantial, uh, such as would overcome the logistical burden of it. And there are a whole host of, well, uh, a, a very large number of Russian weapon systems that will make as short a work of that as they have done of everything else that the West has so far supplied uh, to the Kiev regime on the battlefield. So once again, uh, no wonder weapon. The French were already retiring it from service, but uh, you know they have some laying around to give, and I guess it's better than nothing. Um, I do not believe that France will probably ever send aircraft. Uh, th this will be a, a tighter political decision in France. They have uh, historically been a step removed from the NATO Warhawks. They weren't even a part of uh, NATO's uh, military council uh, uh, until you know the last couple of decades. Uh, so I, I think Macron will, will show more sense. Uh, he has also said that another condition is that the Kiev regime would make be able to make good battlefield use of whatever is provided, which is a good argument against providing them with just about everything that they have been provided so far, uh, a, a factor that increases as the technological complexity and logistical complexity of uh, the military equipment increases. And main battle tanks and fighter jets certainly uh, are beyond what they can make any type of realistic use of without having a, a number of years uh, to integrate them, to, to learn how to use them and to integrate them into their larger military systems. When the US provided Abrams tanks to Iraq, the, tr the large training program to integrate them into the Iraqi uh, armed forces lasted five years. Uh, for Saudi Arabia, it was seven. And Saudi Arabia still lost lots of Abrams uh, to Houthi irregulars firing uh, uh, Soviet-era uh, uh, anti-tank guided missiles at them and had to request more Abrams. So I, I don't think that the Kiev regime uh, will do any better and, and almost certainly much worse. So one high-ranking leader, not so shy, not so coy about her position on this war, is Germany's Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock. Uh, she's openly advocating for more war, more equipment, and saying we are at war with Russia while speaking at an EU meeting. Listen here. And therefore, I've said already in the last days, yes, we have to do more to defend Ukraine. Yes, we have to do more also on tanks. But the most important and the crucial part is that we do it together and that we do not do the blame game in Europe because we are fighting a war against Russia and not against each other. Thank you.
Why is Baerbock leading the charge out of Germany, Mark? Where is Olaf Scholz? Okay, so Germany's gover current government is a, a very fragile coalition government. Uh, between uh, the SPD, which Olaf uh, Schultz heads, the Green Party, of which Annalena Baerbock is uh, number two, uh, and another uh, smaller party. Um, and um, with the Green Party demanding the position of, of foreign minister as part of this coalition government, that's how they have Annalena Baerbock uh, uh, driving German foreign policy. I I would say that Olaf Scholz's primary political uh, characteristics are political cowardice and fecklessness, and it's perfectly clear who wears the big boy breeches uh, in the German government, and it's not Olaf Scholz. Uh, the German Green Party is a, a kind of a, a, a weird. Uh, uh, political phenomenon, uh, considering that their policies have brought Germany to burning coal and wood uh, in place of natural gas, they should probably rename themselves the German Coal Black Party. Uh, but they are some of the biggest anti-Russia, anti-China, anti-anyone war hawks uh, in uh, the broader spectrum of, of EU politics. They are essentially European neocons that would make John McCain blush in whatever you know lower realm of hell that he's found himself in. Um, and uh, they have been pushing uh, to uh, Germany out of its decades-long pacifism uh, into uh, this uh, you know direct, uh, confrontational, where once again, German main battle tanks uh, will be sent and burning uh, uh, in the Ukrainian steppes against Russia, which is, you know, um, it's caused some other German uh, politicians, uh, you know, to uh, really uh, hesitate at this. There are two Soviet T-34 tanks uh, outside of the uh, Bundestag, outside of the uh, German uh, parliament building. And every morning, uh, the uh, uh, German representatives have to walk in past those two tanks. Um, you would think that they would think a little bit more about what they're doing, but uh, hey, uh, I, it it doesn't seem that that thoughts and consequence are two of of Baerbach's, uh, you know, uh, strongest uh, um, policies. But uh, she is a pro imperialist, pro U.S. Uh, uh, led global hegemony, um, U.S. led uh, Western global hegemony a proponent uh, to to the ninth degree, and and she is now essentially dictating. German foreign and military policy. And that's a lot, uh, a thought that should probably scare anyone who's not a neocon on either side of the Atlantic. All right, Mark Sloboda, I got to leave it right there. Thank you so much. And be sure to check out Mark's YouTube channel called The Real Politic with Mark Sloboda. So as you can see, over in Europe, where this conflict could have direct consequences, there is no unanimous agreement on how to move forward with Ukraine. But here in Washington, one thing is clear. You are not an American patriot if you don't give all your support and your money to Kiev.
That's going to do it for this week's episode of Modus Operandi, the show that digs deep into foreign policy. I'm your host, Manila Chan. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you again next week to figure out the MO. Thank you.